Blog Talk Radio. Progressive News Network, and I am Brooke Hines, and uh, we are we are locked down in our bunker here at the fabulous studios at Swampy Jays. It's Sunday, March 22, 2020. I'm already in the second week of isolation. Uh, I have, I'm a immune compromised, and. Uh, Took one small trip out to do some work a Friday ago and got so freaked out about it. I had to, I, I had to stop doing that. So I'm working completely from home and my husband's working completely from home and hopefully our listeners are working from home and um, also being compensated and not having uh, not yet running into too many troubles. I've got some information about the coronavirus that I want to share with you that's really important uh, just in a moment or two. And I got a lot of stories to share about coronavirus. And Janine Moloff is coming on at the bottom of next hour to talk about coronavirus, <laughs> uh, some legal and justice aspects of coronavirus. Um we have an interview that isn't loading, so we may or may not have a uh, another piece to share on this, uh, but I will find out in the next little bit, see if that uh, spools up onto Blog Talk Radio. Um, so, yeah, it's also a really different kind of week here at Progressive News Network. This is the first week that I'm taking over for Rick Spizak, who is uh, living the dream, literally doing exactly what I want to be doing uh, at some point. He's uh, um, hit an open road in an RV. And actually, I mean, even though it might seem like the timing is is kind of weird, I, I kind of feel like being in an RV and, uh, you know, like maybe being in a national park or something is a really good idea right now. And uh, it seems like something I wouldn't mind doing. So more power to you, Rick. I've got a, a pre-recorded a little message that Rick wanted me to share. So since we're on the subject, let's go ahead and bring this up. Here's Rick with a message. Like a duck. I'm concerned about the reporting that the enthusiasm gap seems to be the only explanation for a tally that previously had absolutely and unequivocally favored Senator Sanders. However, given the widespread voting irregularities, access irregularities, and count irregularities, that the range in power of the obvious villains that have real dollars riding on an adjusted outcome. 
from the corporatists on either side, R or D, the foreign actors, the status quo enthusiasts, I for one have room for doubt, even before we ask qui bono, who benefits. Until I see a concerted effort to true the vote, a move perhaps toward paper ballots, an investigation on all sides, nonpartisan especially, I have to regard a vote with strange results as a strange result itself. The inadequate and undemocratic outcome must be remedied. Crowds on and on of 10 and 20,000 who suddenly decided to skip the vote or forgot to vote or somehow lost interest in the vote? Oh, I know, they suddenly became interested in allowing the status quo to continue. That's the explanation. I say if it looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, and tallies like a duck, I just don't trust that duck. Richard Spizak, producer emeritus, PNN. Wow, that was a lovely piece. Thank you, Rick. Um, <clears throat> you know, that's a good segue into something else I wanted to talk about. What what Rick is saying there is is that you know Bernie Sanders won the first three states. Remember, remember the big. Uh, um, bunch of chaos that happened in Iowa and they were trying to say that Buttigieg had won it and then it turned out that uh, even though they weren't using the shadow app that tallies weren't being reported and so uh, precincts started calling out the uh, Iowa State Party and saying hey look you're not reporting you're not reporting our tallies right um, we still haven't trued that vote we uh, uh, last week I shared a story with you guys from TMDS, I believe. I'll try to find that on a break. Uh, uh, that's a polling group that has looked at the numbers of exit polls. Exit polls, remember, are when people have voted and they walk straight out from voting and they say who they voted for, uh, and you know you get a demographic portrait of uh, of the voter. Um, those exit polls in New Hampshire and Massachusetts and South Carolina varied sometimes as much as 26%. Now, according to USAID, which is the organization, US government organization that <clears throat> looks at elections internationally and decides whether or not we're going to overthrow a government, their threshold, their trigger for when to call an election having funny business is 4%. And so Bernie Sanders won the first three states with these wildly uh, uh, not matching, wildly not matching um, exit polls. So then you get to um, then you get to South Carolina, and one of the big swings was actually in South Carolina, which you know if if, if we could ever true the vote there, I would really like to find out <clears throat> what what happened. Um, but. Uh, you know, then we went into Super Tuesday, and all of a sudden we don't have caucus states. 
you know, the, uh, the, the two caucus states were, were done. And they're all primaries. And the funny business that you saw in Iowa could have been repeated on the back end with the things going on in, in the primaries in the, in the uh, Super Tuesday states. Um, but what we do know, what we could see with our own two eyes, was that they were closing polling stations down left and right. Uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me. That's, that's the wrong notebook. Uh, they were closing down polling stations left and right in California and Texas specifically. Uh, these were drastic numbers. And the limitation of having polling space led to lines that were students in California were waiting seven hours to vote. Now, you know, I remember being a student and I don't recall waiting seven hours for anything unless there was like, you know, a concert or something at the, at the other end. I can't imagine uh, waiting seven hours to vote. I, I, don't, I don't even know what that would be like. Um, now, this was before coronavirus was something that we were talking about yet in the United States. But um, I got to tell you, on March 9, you know, we got done with Super Tuesday. And, you know, Bernie's still neck and neck with, uh, with, with Biden. And the California vote took forever to come in. Yeah, so so we know that Bernie won California, and we never got to see uh, the delegates come over to his to his column the way that they should have. <clears throat> and uh, you know, and 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 so we move along after those states, and instead of saying, "Hey, hold up, wait a minute, why are these exit polls so funny? Why were there seven-hour waits?" You know, no one stopped to ask the question on behalf of the voters of whether or not there was voter suppression. Now, we're, we're really quick to go after the Republicans when we think that there's uh, voter suppression in a general election. But it appears from what's happened so far in the Democratic primaries of 2020 for president that the party itself, that the Democratic Party is really, really good at suppressing its own vote. Um, and we haven't even talked about March 17 yet. And this is something I wanted to talk about before we got too far into tonight's uh, main material, because it's a good seg a really good segue. Uh, I wrote a piece. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this up at the Florida Squeeze. It's not up there yet. Um, it's just something, this, is, this isn't reporting, this isn't really uh, an analysis piece. This is, this is me putting ideas on paper and trying to make some connections and you know, see what comes of that. I've got this idea that we don't actually know what we think until we start writing about it. Uh, at least that's true for me, you know, somebody who's, who's uh, primarily uh, a writer, you know, or, you know, a designer, you know, you have to produce something 
often when you're doing a design, you have to get started and you have to see what's working and you have to change things around. Then you understand how you're going to solve a problem. And I find the same thing is, is true with writing. Uh, so, you know, I just started noodling and putting some of these ideas down on paper because I came across this uh, factoid that just kind of blew my mind. And it's that on March 8th, Remember, the, uh, the the primaries that we had this last week were on March 17 on St. Patrick's Day. Now, the CDC had already said no crowds larger than 50. And then right before, or right after, it was really close. Then they then they made it even less. They said no, no crowds of 10 or more. Uh, but on March 8th, the DNC was going to have a Bernie Biden forum here in Orlando. And it was canceled back on March 8th. It was canceled because it was too dangerous for elites to sit in a room next to each other. Yeah, they were all like, oh, no, 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 we wouldn't know. No, you wouldn't want to expose people to a deadly virus during a pandemic. Why would you do that? We can't have this forum. So they didn't have the forum. And that's when they switched to the... Um, uh, actually, they didn't switch. This was, uh, they, they just lost that one. So there was going to be the forum. Then there was going to be a debate in Arizona. Then they changed the debate in Arizona to be an in-studio back and forth between Biden and Bernie in Washington, D.C., with nobody else in the room. Uh, so on March 8th, the DNC cancels the Bernie-Biden forum here in Orlando. And nine days later, okay, so we we're already far enough into a pandemic that, you know, people with a lot of money and party donors and people who were powerful didn't want to be gathered in a group of more than 50 sitting around for any length of time or so on and so forth. Nine days later, Tom Perez says, uh, we're going to have these primaries come hell or high water. And if a state doesn't have their primaries before a certain date, I think it was June 6th, that they would be sanctioned and lose summer hall all of their delegates. Now, it, that's wildly irresponsible. I mean, just first off, that is just incredibly super freaking irresponsible. Uh, what that did was it exposed voters. Voters had to, number one, choose between whether, you know, like, like I said earlier, I'm immune compromised. Uh, I would not want anyone in my family to go to a voting location and then come back to the house and be with me. Like that's, that's how serious I am about this. And what the party was doing was saying that if you didn't want to be disenfranchised, then you better get your ass down there and wait in those damn lines. Oh, and by the way, they're probably going to have moved your polling station. Oh, and by the way, there's probably not going to be ballots and really don't count on there being any kind of hand sanitizer or, you know, proper methods set up to make sure that uh, conditions were clean and safe. You know, it was just a huge wreck. There were even places where there weren't um, the, uh, I forget the name of the people who, uh, you count the votes at the very end. So anyway, it was just a huge mess. <clears throat> and 
I find it really hypocritical that that the DNC was unwilling to show up to a forum nine days earlier and then um, enforce the stupid rule that the March 17 primaries had to happen on, on March 17. You know, because all of this is fluid. They could have very easily said, <clears throat> hold up, we'll mail you all ballots, and you just send them back in. How about that? That would have been the proper way to handle yourself during a public health crisis. <laughs> that would have made some sense. You know, give everybody two weeks to get them back in. You're still basically on schedule for the rest of the primaries. And then plan accordingly for the primaries that follow. That's not what they did. That is not what they did. And so people showed up to the polls in Illinois, Arizona, and Florida. And there is no way that the DNC can guarantee that people didn't pick up coronavirus at the polls. And I actually can't understand how this hasn't led to a lawsuit because, you know, uh, having a compromised immunity is a form of disability. You know, like if I wanted to, I'm not going to do this, but if I wanted to, I could go to the grocery store right when it opens with, senior citizens and people with compromised immunity. Um, I don't even want to do that, to, 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 to be honest. But to ask people to go to the polls, you know, people like me who have a much higher risk of, of picking up a bug, to ask them to go to the polls is, is, is ghoulish. It's, uh, it's, really, really awful. And it and, and it told it tells me something, as I was noodling around with this idea, it tells me something about the way that we think of um of power. I'm gonna get to that to in a second. But I'm sure a lot of you are aware that um Joe Biden also tweeted out on March 15, two days before the primary, he said, the right to vote is the most sacred American right there is. State election officials are working closely with public health officials to hold safe elections. If you are feeling healthy, not showing symptoms, and not at risk of being exposed to COVID-19, please vote on Tuesday. So, I mean, already, already, even just the way that he wrote that is is suppressing the vote. It's suppressing the vote of people over 65. It's suppressing the vote of people who have compromised immunity. It's con it, it, it's, it suppresses the vote of anybody with a um, uh, who already has a chronic health condition, say like uh, somebody with cancer or someone who just got out of the hospital with a you know um, a cardiac surgery or a major surgery of any kind. That is a, a compromised immunity situation. That's just massive voter suppression. But you know, the funny thing is, is that a few days later on March 19, two days after the election, uh, Joe Biden tweets out, uh, this is a, a he, he's responding, he's quote tweeting a New York Times article. It says for months, President Trump undermined and contradicted the experts, including some in his own administration about the severity of the coronavirus outbreak. We examined the record to prove it. Here's what we found. And Joe Biden quote tweets that and he says, 
the words of a president matter. And Donald Trump has used his to downplay COVID-19 and mislead the American people. He is therefore unfit to lead us through this crisis. Unfit. <laughs> and uh, and uh, uh, Simone Sanders, his uh, spokesperson, also went on uh, uh, CNN with Chris Cuomo and falsely claimed that the CDC said that it was safe to, to vote on Tuesday, which they uh, categorically did not do. That just did not happen. It was a flat-out lie. Just a flat-out freaking lie. Now, I don't understand at this point how come, oh, and I don't want to be one of these people, I really don't want to be one of these people who's like, come on, Bernie, you know, why aren't you doing things right? Why aren't you doing things the way I say you should be doing them? But I hope that behind the scenes, as well say it, I hope that behind the scenes that there are people who are putting pressure uh, on the DNC and within the Democratic Party to say, look, what you did on March 17, that is not a legitimate election. There is no way that that is credible. Credible. There is no way that people should take those tallies as uh, um, legitimate. It's just not legitimate. I hope that's being said behind the scenes. I hope that there's some uh, arm twisting. I hope that they clean their act up. Um, because... You know, you know. Here's here's the thing. We're all in this together with this whole coronavirus thing. You know, and and, and uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna pivot off of this in just a second, but um, I'm gonna tell you the story real quick. Uh, I was coming home on Friday, and I know you guys have heard some of the same rumors that I heard. There was something like this that after Friday or after this weekend come Monday that, uh, that the uh, national guard was going to be out in the States and that, and, and that a lot of people who hear national guard, like automatically think that national guard means martial law. And it doesn't, uh, you can bring out the national guard to assist in a, a healthcare emergency and still have a civilian government. You know, and that's under civilian control. Martial law means something. Martial law means that the uh, government is under military control. And that's different. That's much different. And I'll tell you what, if, if that does happen, that, that would be, um, that would be uh, something to talk about, for sure. I don't think that that's going to happen. Calling out the National Guard, uh, like they've, they've announced in, in Florida, and I'm going to get to that in a second, Calling out the National Guard is the right thing to do because they can mobilize resources and bring people uh, uh, to help out in this crisis. And one of the things that I know that they're doing in Broward County is to assist in COVID testing. So they're going to try to set up some drive-through uh, COVID testing sites in Broward County. Uh, that could be a, a model for arrest uh, uh, for the rest of the state. So. That's got kind of a, a, a feel-good vibe to it. That is totally different than, you know, they're marching in the troops and they're taking away all of our uh, civil liberties and we're under martial law. So I'll let you know. 
I'll tell you what, as soon as that, if, <laughs> as soon as we hear about that, I will be talking about it and we will be definitely letting you know, but that's not where we're at right now. Where we're at right now is we're in that place, like when there's a hurricane or a big snow where people are concerned and uh, depending on your situation, you may have the resources emotionally and otherwise to cope better with what's going on or not. You know, everybody is kind of coming at this from a different angle. And it kind of blows my mind how amazing people can be at this time. Uh, in addition to how freaking crazy people can be, you know, because we've also seen all of the tweets on, uh, uh, you know, with the people hoarding ammunition. I mean, come on, what are you going to do? Shoot, shoot ducks, eat a duck. I mean, you're not going to shoot. Let's get freaking real. You're not going to shoot people. Okay. You're just, it does, it's not going to happen anyway. Um, so I went out on Friday. I broke my, I broke my isolation fast because uh, the, it sounded like if we didn't get provisions, we didn't get groceries in the house, uh, that, that we were going to be screwed. So I went out on Friday to do grocery shopping. I didn't know that Publix closed at eight. So Publix closes early now. There's also a curfew in Orlando. You have to be in the house between the 11 uh, hours of 11 and 5 a.m., 11 p.m. and 5 a.m. So, so there's a curfew, still civilian government but there's curfew just like when there's a hurricane. Um, so anyway, I, I go to, I go to Publix and it was like out of a movie. It was totally like there were whole parts of the store that were completely bought out, unstocked. And it was stuff that you never see not stocked. Okay. So, so the stuff that's usually gone, like, like during a, a, a hurricane or a snow day is like dairy products or, or veg, uh, um, fresh vegetables, uh, like lettuces and things like that. Things that people know that they're going to eat pretty soon. What was gone at the store were potatoes. There wasn't a root vegetable in the freaking store. There was like maybe two boxes of pasta, like left on the, left on the shelves. I got there pretty late. I'm like, I, I had to rush through, which is fine. Cause I, I feel like I touched fewer things at the, while I was there. Um, Peanut butter, you know, like like peanut butter. They're running really late. So it was kind of weird. But anyway, so I get all these groceries and I come home and um putting the bag, bring the bags into the house. And this kid stops in front of the house. He's riding his bike. Kid stops in front of the house and he says, he says, ma'am. Oh my God. So he calls me ma'am. He says, ma'am, would you like some help with your groceries? And <laughs> they kind of freaked me out. And I looked around and I was like, uh, no, I don't need help, but but thank you. Oh my God, that's very nice, very sweet of you. And it, it, and I and I realized I knew who he was. Is it, he's a kid who's introduced himself to us before. And as I was thanking him, he bowed. He bowed at me. <laughs> it's so cute. He bowed at me, and I said, "You know what? I know who you are. You introduced yourself once. You know, I'm I'm Brooke, and my husband so and so, and." You just feel free to come and knock on the door anytime if you need anything, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, I'm putting my groceries away and, I, and I'm thinking about that. And I'm thinking about that kid. And it occurs to me that 
I'm kind of that kid, you know, like, like, like that kid, there's a lot of me in that kid because I have a feeling what was going on in in that kid's house. And the reason why he wasn't at home and he was out riding his bike and stuff instead of uh, being inside is that it was Friday and it was about eight o'clock. And so, and people were starting to get news about whether they uh, should come into work, uh, whether they work from home, or if you're in a service industry, you know, these uh, um, unskilled laborers that uh, all of a sudden are, are essential, you know, uh, you know, maybe some unskilled laborers are, are working more, maybe some are completely laid off. Who knows what was going on in this kid's house, right? You know, his mom and dad might have been dealing with some kind of heavy news. And instead of sitting around and kind of stewing in it, he thinks what he's going to do is he's going to ride around the neighborhood on his bicycle and see if he can't help people. And that's freaking awesome. That is be that kid. We all need to be that kid. Um. All right, I'm going to take a little break. Here's a, we haven't done this in a while, but y'all need to know about Daughters of Isis. Daughters of Isis is the ancestor of aromacology, indigenous scents representing the fragrant memories of our ancestors to provide us the tools of the inner quest, the authentic moment, and to heal the earth mother. Daughtersofisis.com. Wholesale available also. Mention PNN and enjoy a free sample from our apothecary. For your aromatherapy needs, that's daughtersofisis.com. Blog Talk Radio is being quite soft audio-wise tonight. Um, And so it's making it really hard to get my levels correct on my microphone. So drop me a text or something if I'm like super loud and let me know. Uh, so daughters of Isis, we love daughters of Isis. Um, let's go through some, let's go through some important stuff. This is stuff you need to know. Anna Eskamani, thank you. I just got texted and said, and someone said I sounded good. Thank you, listener. Anna Eskamani is a Florida, uh, House representative from District 47. So she represents a kind of downtown-ish colonial town area of Orlando. Most people would call it, like if it was a a different place, you'd call it Midtown. She has, on Anna for Florida, she has the complete coronavirus guide to Central Florida. And this is essential information, you guys. and it's and it's also if you're listening from someplace that isn't Orlando, uh, I I could see how how you would learn quite a bit from from this kind of uh, report right here. And what she's done is she's given updates from the executive branch uh, in the in, in Tallahassee. She's given information on the curfews in Orange County. She's got updates on bars, restaurants, beaches, and gyms. Uh, essentially, and this is great. Um, uh, the, the governor has suspended all on, on-premises food and alcohol consumption for customers. 
and and they've and they can operate their kitchens for the purpose of delivery and takeout services. So Uber Eats is just raking it in right now. Um, the uh, the other thing they did with regard to to restaurants, and I think this is really funny. They lifted a restriction that prohibits uh, food service establishments from selling packaged alcohol for delivery and takeout. So now you can actually, you can, you, it's legal, it's legal to order um, like a growler or beer or whatever from, from a restaurant and have that delivered to your house. Uh, keep that in mind too, as we're talking about the uh, um, coronavirus corporate because one of the things that the one of the industries that wants a bailout right now is the uh, um, beverages, the alcoholic beverages lobby. Um, and I got to tell you, alcoholic beverages is one, and candy, the the candy lobby, big candy and big beer, big candy and big beer want bailouts. And those two uh, industries are not suffering right now. Because I can tell you that, like, candy, people are eating candy right now. People are eating a lot of candy and a lot of cookies and a lot of junk because that's what you do when you are, we have anxiety, you know. <laughs> that's what some people do, at least. And I could tell from what was still left in the grocery store that, um, that uh, people were uh, stocking up, you know, making sure that it didn't run out of M&Ms and stuff like that. I don't think that those industries are going to need a bailout. Those industries are going to need to help us out at the end of this. Um, so beaches, beaches are going to be capped at 10 people per group. And the people in the group have to main, maintain social, social distancing. And you know what? I think that that's appropriate. I mean, you know, where I grew up in Satellite Beach, uh, there's it's not very densely populated, or at least it didn't used to be. And, you know, people, people walk on the beach, and you can walk on the beach for quite some time without seeing another person. Uh, so, I mean, I, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, I think that, that makes sense. Um, gyms are closed by executive order. There is a, 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 a state of emergency has been declared for COVID-19. Uh, emergency management has activated to level one, the highest level to coordinate the state's response to COVID-19. The National Guard has been mobilized to help with the coronavirus response. That, that has been, that right there, that one little sentence right there, that has been the source of a lot of anxiety and, you know, people thinking that there's going to be martial law. Okay. Um, that's not what that means. Um, the, uh, there's no tolls right now. That's kind of fun. So you can drive, you can drive up and down uh, all the toll roads and not have to pay your tolls. That's, that's actually, that, that feels good. Um, if you've got a driver's license or any kind of license that's going to renew in the state, like your um, compassionate care, you know, medical marijuana license, things like that, that, that need renewal, uh, you don't have to, they're uh, extending deadlines on stuff like that. Uh, there's a lot of changes with regard to social services like the Department of Revenue's uh, child support program, uh, you know, 
things, things where people have to meet in person and there's a lot of contact. So they're, they're being smart and they're doing some, some really smart things. I think a, a curfew from 11 to 5, 8, 11 PM to 5 AM, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, there's of course exceptions for commuting to and from work, uh, fire police and emergency and hospital services, medical patients, utility repairs, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. All of that makes sense. All of that makes sense. Um, Go and check it out. Uh, schools are out. They're going to try to provide food. There's some good information here. Florida's doing okay. Yeah, it's all right. But this is AnnaForFlorida.com, A-N-N-A, for F-O-R, Florida.com. And if you go to her page, you will find at the top your uh, where it says uh, your, your, your Central Florida, sorry, your Central Florida Coronavirus Guide. On Good stuff right there. Um, that's not quite political. That's uh, just raw information for you. The raw stuff. All right. I'm going to take a little break. I'll be right back. Give me just like 30 seconds. get a drink of water. One of the things that I promised that we would talk about, I need to turn up my mic. One of the things that I promised that we would talk about is a piece by Matt Stoller that he was sharing on Twitter yesterday. And if you're a subscriber to his sub stack, you would have gotten it. Uh, it's a piece called Stop the Coronavirus Corporate Coup. And this is some this is some good solid chunks of of uh, goodness from Matt Stoller. He's uh you know love him or hate him he's he he's like Zaid Jelani to me. He's he's real you know he can have like the, a really really good take one day and then like the next day say something where you're just like what yeah um but in this case uh this is solid this is good stuff and what he's doing stop the coronavirus corporate coup is he's letting us know that the deal making that's going on right now in the Senate is turning into a great big uh, uh, bunch of looting. (laughs) The real looters wear suits, you guys. So who'd have thunk it? The uh, uh, lobbyists have seen an opportunity in a crisis to make some money. And they're just no shame walking right up to, you know, the Senate and saying, just give us some freaking money. And the worst defender here is is Boeing. The aerospace giant wants a $60 billion bailout, billion, 60 billion with a B billion. <sighs> because of financial problems, 
that predated the crisis, such as the mismanagement that led to the 737 MAX, as well as defense and space products that don't work. And, you know, that's been in the news forever. I won't go back over that. But uh, so they want $60 billion. This totally has nothing to do with public health or people getting sick. And, and it's, it's not like it's not like Boeing is going to go under. You know, they're they're not like a corner coffee shop. It's corner coffee shops that are going under. It's not freaking Boeing. And so that really annoys me. I didn't I didn't know this. Um, the corporation paid out over $65 billion in stock buybacks and dividends over the last 10 years. And it was drawing down credit lines before the crisis hit. Boeing is highly political, politically connected. The board of the corporation includes Caroline Kennedy. Caroline Kennedy, and Ronald Reagan's chief of staff, Ken Duberstein. Uh, there's three Fortune 100 CEOs, a former U.S. trade representative, two admirals, and one who is the board's only engineer. So, I mean, like, they're using that political, what Stoller's saying is that they're using that that political, um, those, those connections to try and loot the treasury essentially like i like his lead here he says congressional leaders are likely to put a very ugly deal in front of the american people and if it passes america may be unrecognizable after this pandemic but there is a way to stop it if people on the populist left and people on the populist right work together so I don't know if you guys remember like a year or so ago when um, Caitlin Johnstone, who uh, it lives in Australia and writes these like, uh, you know, really snappy kind of, um, uh, uh, you know, hey, DNC suck it kind of articles, you know, like, you know, like she, she writes a lot of stuff that I like totally agree with. But there was a there was a while there where um, she was saying uh that and i I, i'm not going to do it justice because i didn't pay that much attention to it at the time to be honest but she said that uh uh that the people on the left and the people on the alt-right uh should try to find some common ground in order to uh protect so i think it was mostly about civil liberties and uh, and she got a lot of pushback on that, and it led to kind of a schism. And so I read this here, and I was reminded of that, you know, that that thing, you know, that that happened with Caitlin Johnston, Stone, Caitlin Johnstone. And I felt like that whole thing was kind of unfortunate because I see what she did, and what she. What she did was she confused uh, people who are our representatives, who it's their job to uh, be on the left or the right and come together and work things out. She confused them with us, you know. Uh, It doesn't matter if, it doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of difference if, you know, uh, normal Joes and Josephines uh, 
you know, try to work together with people from the left and the right in real life. We do that all the time. You know, we're all parts of families. We're all, you know, go to work with people who don't share the same ideology that, that we do. We do it all the time. But to get anything done, you have to have that presence in Washington, D.C. And your representatives have to be doing that for you. And so, you know, she was kind of misplacing, I think, what was going on there. She was kind of misplacing where the where the real fulcrum of power is. And so Matt Stoller, right in his lead, he says, uh, if people on the populist left and people on the populist right work together, and I was like, oh, no, oh, no, no, this is going to be that all over again. <laughs> but I don't think so. Let me explain why. Um, what he is saying is he wants people on the populist left and people on the populist right to put pressure on our representatives because we both share an ideology that says that bailouts and stock buybacks and all of this kind of financial uh, degawery or gwizzery is is uh, bullshit and it's not the right way to try to make money. Uh, Kevin Gostola tweeted out a little while ago about how Trump uh, actually said that he's not a fan of these stock buybacks and stuff. And he pointed out, too, that while Trump's not a fan, uh, Steve Mnuchin is, and that there's there's a, a tug of war going on, you know, between the, the president and his treasury secretary. Uh that's what Matt Stoller is talking about right here, that there's a fissure that we can exploit. There's, there's a, um, a place where we can actually put pressure and something could, something could change for the better. But what needs to happen is for people on the left to put pressure on our representatives and people on the right put the pressure on their representatives towards the same goal. And that is a lot different than what happened in the Caitlin Johnstone thing, where it kind of sounded like what she was saying was, you know, like, let's break bread with, uh, I don't think this is what she was saying, but in the worst, uh, uh, in the least generous characterization, it sounded like she was saying, let's break bread with the alt-right, uh, neo-nationalist, fascist people. Um, I don't think that that's what she was saying, but, you know, she's got this fly by the seat of your pants kind of style, which I think is really, you know, spot on. You know, she, she, can, she can lay down some prose, and it feels like she didn't spend all night editing it. It just feels freewheeling and, and, and cool. And, you know, sometimes when you write in that style, sometimes you might put something out there that maybe you didn't quite mean. And I think that that's what happened in that, in that case. Um, but like I said, I didn't pay that much attention to it at the time, but this reminded me of that. And I thought, Oh my God, is this going to be another one of those things where there's a lot of pushback? Because I think what Matt Stoller is saying here <clears throat> makes a lot of sense. Uh, he actually quotes, he, he quotes a lobbyist here that says, um, anytime there's a crisis in Washington, anytime there's a crisis and Washington is in the middle of it, 
It's an opportunity for guys like me, said one lobbyist. So Stoller's like kind of doing some gossip here, and he's talking about the deals that are being talked about behind closed doors. And the beer industry wants $5 billion, and the candy industry wants $500 million. You know, those are, those, like I said, those, those guys are not hurting. Like, we'll, we'll be wanting to ask them for money any day now because they're, they're going to be flush. Um, defense contractors want their payments sped up, and they want to widen a giant loophole called Other Transaction Authority to get around restrictions on profiteering. Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos want $5 billion in grants or loans to keep commercial space, commercial space employees on the job and launch facilities open because launch facilities and commercial space ventures are completely not critical to this pandemic. What the hell? Um, this is ridiculous. And it's, and it angers me because, you know, we're also hearing about the Democrats in the Senate just lying down. And it doesn't seem like anybody is fighting for us except for Bernie Sanders or, or in the House Rashida Tlaib and um, Ilhan Omar and uh, AOC, of course. Moving really quickly to the end, and I and I urge you guys to go read this and and, and share it. It's a, it's it's a good piece and it's it's a good idea. I think. Um, he mentions that in 2008, when Congress was on the brink of passing a 700 billion dollar bailout to Wall Street, this was in two, 20 um, in in 08, um, He says something astonishing happened. Uh, a motley bipartisan group of roughly 100 members, as well as outside experts, formed what was called the Skeptics Caucus and organized enough votes to take down the package. Well, then the market crashed and like it, it, it ended up passing with some with some tinkering. Um, but it, showed, it, it was a proof of concept. For a brief moment, you could see exactly how this would work. And now the landscape has changed a little bit. And uh, he says, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, join a new skeptics caucus and demand your member of Congress represent you and not just big business. Help the people by dealing with unemployment, rents, mortgages, and not big business executives trying to save their cushy positions. So I've been all over Politico and uh, New York Times and Washington Post trying to get a sense of the landscape, you know, what what's going on in these negotiations. And the Stoller piece does a really good job of outlining it. Uh, but what we're missing here is, you know, what what is anybody going to do for for regular folks? You know, because we stand, like I said, you know, people who live on my street, people who live in my neighborhood, uh, I bet that there are folks who are dealing with layoffs. I bet that there are folks who are um, worried about paying their mortgage. There's definitely people who are wondering what the hell to do with all their kids being home all of a sudden. You know, <laughs> there's a child care, a major child care <clears throat> um, 
crunch right now, which can just, you know, that, that just adds more um, anxiety to, to the whole mix. So families, families don't just need a bailout. We need, we really need direction and we really need to feel like there's somebody who is in Washington or who is, who is a part of our, our leadership who has our back and who is talking to us as if we are, you know, worthy of being talked to. And um, that person is not Joe Biden. And I'm sure you're aware that uh, hashtag where is, where is Joe, hashtag Biden's hiding, you know, all of these hashtags have been trending for a few days now over the weekend because Joe Biden has been missing in action. We're in the middle of a pandemic. He came out of hiding long enough to say, oh, you must go exercise your sacred right to vote and get infected. But then he went back into hiding and nobody knows where he's at. There is actually a 4chan or 8chan, I can't keep up. Uh, uh, I think it was a hoax, but somebody has been circulating what looks like a LabCorp quest uh test result for uh, Joseph Robinette Biden uh, showing that uh, showing a positive COVID test. I think that's been proven false, but, uh, but that's where people's head is at because no one has seen Joe Biden. Now, meantime, Bernie Sanders has been, I think it's been every single night, has been doing live streams, and he's probably live streaming right now. He is live streaming right now. Uh, every single night, he's brought experts and and advocates and singer-songwriters, even, uh, together to help inform people who are at home, who are anxious and who don't know what the hell is going on. We don't have good information. People think that martial law is getting ready to be a thing, for God's sakes. Um, the anxieties are ratcheted all the way up, you know, to 11. And it doesn't have to be that way. Now, amidst all of this, Bernie Sanders has, emer- has emerged, emerged, Bernie Sanders has emerged as the de facto leader of the Democratic Party. I mean, just period. There's an article in uh, Vocal.media uh, in their political swamp section written by uh, Colton, Colton Tanner Casados Medvey. Medvey. Casados Medvey. I'm slaughtering your name, Colton. I am so sorry. Uh, but it's really good. Bernie Sanders has emerged as the de facto leader of the Democratic Party amidst the COVID-19 crisis. I'm going to drop a bunch of these links in the uh, show notes, of course, uh, so that so that you can refer to these articles. But this is a really good article. Go to vocal.media and look for Political Swamp. <clears throat> Makes some really, really good points in this. And I think that this is, if you are like me and you've watched Bernie Sanders do these uh, panel discussions and these uh you know, COVID informational kind of teach-ins, then you see what's really missing with the response from 
everywhere else in Washington. You don't see anybody else doing that. And I have a feeling that if he, even if he wasn't running for president, Bernie Sanders would still be doing this. <clears throat> Colton says, the Democratic Party is in dangerous waters right now. The first few rounds of primary voting placed Biden firmly in the lead, but he has been largely silent since the COVID-19 crisis started heating up. At the moment, a Where is Joe hashtag is turning on Twitter in which people are asking, the presidential are asking the presidential hopeful how he plans to demonstrate some leadership amidst the crisis. And the author goes on to say, I don't know whether I feel comfortable giving him my vote in November should he win the nomination. If he continues down this, you know, path of uh, if Medicare for all comes around and Bernie Sanders gets it past the House and the Senate, that he would veto it. I mean, right now, uh, the last number, and he has it cited here in the piece, 70% of Americans support Medicare for all. And I bet that's gone up, you know, because we're all socialists in a, in, in a crisis. Um, the stuff that is being suggested out of the usual places is a uh, I saw a story this morning, which was uh, they want to open enrollment for Obamacare. Great. Uh, Obamacare, which people aren't using now because they can't afford the co-pays, you know, because it's the beginning of the year, you know, which is this is just the sickest thing ever. They, you pay $20,000 a year for insurance, and then you have to pay another like $6,000 to use the insurance that you pay $20,000 a year for. My God, it's crazy. We're, we're, we're morons in this country anyway. So, so <laughs> the one thing that I've seen on Politico that's, that's talked about normal people at all is that, oh, maybe we'll open enrollment for Obamacare. They <laughs> can't even decide if, they, if that's going to be a thing. And uh, nobody wants that. Nobody wants to go into debt over uh, um, getting sick. I mean, that's why people don't have insurance in the first place. Anywho, um, Colton goes on in this in this piece, which I adore. He goes on in this piece uh, to say that he states the obvious, that Republicans like Mitt Romney and even fucking Donald Trump are outflanking the Democrats on the left. And you cannot let that happen because if Democrats fail to side with Bernie, and I'm reading from the article now, if Democrats fail to side with Bernie in demanding a bailout for the American people, they will be allowing the Trump administration to take credit for Bernie's most popular ideas, a move that would come back to haunt them in November. I would say that a little stronger. Um, and, you know, and, and we'll de essentially deliver the White House to Donald Trump. Uh, and he goes on to say that, I really like this piece right here. He says, despite being the front runner and the media establishment's top, top pick to face off against Trump, Biden has failed to emulate his progressive rival when it comes to leadership amidst a crisis. 
Yeah, he's been absolutely absent. Uh, there's a lot of people who are trying to say that, that what Biden is doing right now is he's on the phone and he's doing teleconferences and he's, 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 he's making things happen. You just don't see it. Because that's the way things really happen. And you see it all happens behind the scenes and you don't see it. You know that people are full of shit when they start talking like that. When people start talking like, uh, it's working because you can't tell. That's a lie. That's you're being lied to when when people do that. That's obvious. Don't be a don't be a rube. Um, Joe Biden, freaking Joe Biden. He is the worst. He was absolutely the worst of all of those candidates. A hundred percent. A hundred percent the worst. And we found out this week that um. Uh, Andrew Yang actually, Andrew Yang went on uh, the Breakfast Club and, and and just flat out said that the reason why he endorsed Joe Biden, even though Joe Biden hasn't endorsed UBI, the reason why he endorsed him is that Joe Biden kind of sort of maybe promised him a role in the uh, Biden administration. Which you can't do that. That's freaking criminal. <laughs> they tried to get they tried to get Trump on that uh, with uh, with Ben Carson, uh, getting Ben Carson to drop out and endorse Trump. Uh, there was talk that there was uh, that the same kind of deal had been made. Blah blah blah. Obviously, it had. Um, you know, you, you, that's uh, that is a a bad misstep. Um, Bernie Sanders, whether or not he wins this primary, whether or not he wins this election right now, the first one before the general, um, it shouldn't scare anybody if, if he doesn't win. And that's the main takeaway, I think, from this piece, uh, because his response to the pandemic has shown that he has an important role to play in the U.S. political scene with or without the presidency, and his movement isn't going anywhere. Bernie Sanders raised $2 million in two days for Meals on Wheels and is mobilizing right now. Nobody else is doing this. He is mobilizing his campaign as a mutual aid response to the pandemic. When the government can't get its act together, when the states can't get their act together, when everybody around you can't get your act together, the only person you see getting their act together is the um, not me, us movement, is the Bernie movement, then, you know, something's, something's going on there. And Joe Biden right now is, oh, he's on the phone with the governors, and he's got all this, like, super important work to do, and blah, blah, blah. It's so important. You know it's important because you can't see it. Well, if you take what Matt Stoller wrote over here with the corporate coup, you know, if you take any of that seriously, then uh, I think anybody could draw a, a line <laughs> A to B. If Joe Biden is on the phone to anyone except his doctor, he's he's talking to uh, lobbyists and cutting deals the same way he did with uh, Andrew Yang. That's what he's doing. It has nothing to do with making sure that you get uh, 
that, that doctors get protective clothing or protective equipment, that they get masks and gowns and stuff that they need to, to do their job. It doesn't have anything to do with getting you a, a, a COVID test. It doesn't have anything to do with making sure that uh, you have income while you're having to self-isolate. It has nothing to do with making sure that your family has something to eat. It has nothing to do with making sure that if, if your family can access healthcare or see a doctor, should you uh catch this infection nobody's got our back except for bernie that makes him the de facto leader and as i was doing my show notes i i had stuck on um colton writes he's a de facto leader of the democratic party amidst the the crisis the democratic party and i kept stopping on that and thinking Fucking screw the goddamn Democratic Party. I've freaking had it with them. I have had it with the party. If that party isn't completely overturned, there's no point in being a part of that party. There's absolutely no point. Things are going to get worse. Like I said, we've all heard the same gossip. Best estimation that I've seen online and all the research that I've done, and you can ask my husband, I'm freaking obsessed with this. Um, I literally can't eat and watch TV. Like the only two things that really there is to do when you're self-isolating, eat and watch TV, I cannot do them. I am too wound up. I, I, I feel like I don't have the information that I need. I feel like I should know more, you know, and that, you know, that makes me like a, like a, uh, some kind of animal looking for its prey. You know, I got to find it. You know, I got this angry fix, you know, um, but, uh, and everything I've seen, the best estimation is that we can bend the curve of infection by August. That is five to six months away. It's going to take till August to bend the curve of infection. Now, what does that mean? Right now, the infection is growing at an exponential rate, which means that if every one person infects another 1.2 people, maybe my notes up, I did some math. I did some math right here. Um, Exponential growth is what happens like in a lily pond or in an aquarium that, that gets taken over by uh, algae or those, those fuzzy plants that, that you just can't get rid of. One day you have one little plant in that, in that aquarium and you're like, oh, you know, I paid a buck for the plant and you stick it in there and, and it's like, oh, that's a pretty plant. And next thing you know, the aquarium is nothing but the plant. And the reason why it is, is that plants, those, those kind of little uh, aquarium plants, they, they grow exponentially. And so, like, let's say there's a, going back to the infection, going back to COVID, if there are 100 people infected today and the rate of transmission is 1.2, meaning that um, meaning that you multiply 
you multiply the 100 infected cases by 1.2. And then you take that and then you multiply that by 1.2. And then you multiply that by 1.2. So you keep building on the, uh, the existing number. And uh, like with the aquarium, if on day 30, your aquarium is totally full of those pesky plants, it was on day 59 that it was half full. You know, so it's one of those, it's one of those math things that, that, you know, drives people crazy. And it doesn't make any sense until you see it visually. But, uh, um, or you live it. And, and we're living it right now. So if you're following any of the um, infection rate websites, you're seeing some pretty alarming stats. Uh, New York City is accounting for one third of the infections that we know of in the United States at this moment. And that could be because there is such a mobilization in New York City because of the efforts of Bill de Blasio and um, the other Cuomo, the one who's the governor, Andrew, uh, that they're actually getting people tested and they're actually getting things done. That is not happening in Florida, okay? <laughs> people aren't getting tested here yet. Uh, that should ha that should start happening this week. And I think that that's uh, part of what the um, National Guard can and should be helping with. The uh, Biden is missing in, a, in action. Politico reports he's telling donors that he needs money. <laughs> he can't show up to do anything for, you know, about the uh, about COVID. But he but he's damn sure going to get this message out to to anybody who has a checkbook. Hey, hey, I need money. I, 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 I might win this, you know. Not so fast, though, Joe. Uh, there's still some primaries to go, and we still have a lot to figure out about the primaries that we had. You're not running away with this. And let me tell you what, even if they say he runs away with this, they don't get out of that convention hole unless they make us whole, you know. Um The Democratic Party has no credibility at this point with um, with Bernie voters. And, you know, I don't say that like tauntingly. I don't say that like, nah, nah, you're not getting my vote. I mean, like, no, <laughs> there's no way that I can vote for somebody who says they would veto Medicare for all. That, that's just not going to happen. And there's also no way that I could vote for somebody who's visibly... Uh, cognitively impaired because I've been through that. I lived through the Reagan administration. Um, music got better during the Reagan administration, but everything else got worse. Um, here's my thing. It doesn't matter who I vote for. 
I'm not going to change anybody's minds on Twitter. I'm not going to change anybody's mind in my family or on this show. I mean, we all kind of are who we are and we are going to vote who we vote for. And who knows? We might be making our decisions based on how we feel when we wake up in the morning. If we wake up in the morning in November. Um, But right now, the way that the party is going, you know, with everything that I talked about with the, uh, um, you know, canceling the Bernie Biden forum on the 8th and nine days later exposing everyone to this virus because they they, they wanted to, uh, they wanted those, those primaries to happen. You know, like, what was the rush? What was that about? Why was that so important? I predict that if we're not quarantined, and maybe even if we are, Milwaukee 2020 is going to make Chicago 68 seem like the good old days. And it's going to get ugly. I just do. I just do. I just think that that's what's going to happen. Um, We've been constantly gaslit by the establishment media and establishment leaders like the DNC uh, to the point where we just don't care anymore. Uh, We're to the point where we're either establishing a new order or we're going to watch the old one burn itself out and then establish a new one. I mean, that's, there is no point in going forward with, the policies or the, the, the lack of vision that, that Joe Biden has. Yeah, that's, that is going to basically be every lobbyist in DC running the freaking White House. And uh, it was ugly enough during the Obama administration. I mean, under, under Biden, who's, you know, he's really just a placeholder. He's a, he's, he's a zero. Like he's like, you know, he stands in for, uh, financial companies for financial services companies. That's all he exists to do is to make space and make room for financial services companies and yeah. bankers, in other words, in DC. He is a hundred percent the wrong person to be putting in front of us. We're not putting him in front of us during a crisis like this, you know, there's there's a primacy of, of physical perception, you know, when 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 you feel physically unsafe, like we think of Maslow's pyramid. If you feel physically unsafe, physical safety is like the bottom of the Maslow's pyramid. Then nothing else, nothing else works. You know, you don't get to move up the rest of the pyramid. Right now, our physical safety is in jeopardy because we feel like we could maybe get infected. We, we don't know if we are infected. We don't know if this infection, we don't know how it's going to impact our jobs. We don't know, and, and you know, economic security is felt in your body. You feel that as a physical form of security. If you lose your job and you can't pay your mortgage, you lose your house and then you're homeless during a pandemic, right? You know? These are fears that people are feeling in their body. And and what that means is that uh, 
the reason why we keep hearing people say, oh, there's going to be martial law and keep jumping to conclusions and, 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 and falling for really, really bad uh, theories about the virus and what is going on is because we feel physically unsafe. And when you feel physically unsafe, when you feel it in your body, you know, when it has to do with that base level of whether you're okay or not, that's when, that's when people get messed up. And that's when they do really, really stupid stuff. That's when people get violent. And, you know, this is what's making people hoard food and guns and ammunition. Uh, and the DNC, the, the Democrats are showing absolutely no leadership. There's a, there's a leadership vacuum. As a matter of fact, I wish that there was even more of a vacuum. They're so bad. I wish Chuck Schumer would just go away forever. Um, and Nancy Pelosi, too. They're, they're just so useless. The only thing that would surprise me at this point is if things went smoothly and chaos didn't reign supreme. Um, but, you know, despite everything that I said about, you know, there's no martial law or anything or this and that yet, the fact is that the Department of Justice has been talking about and is trying to get a suspension of habeas corpus for all intents and purposes. They want to be able to detain, what's the wording here? The request to Congress would allow the department to petition a judge indefinitely to detain someone during an emergency. Just what this is, what this is, what the Department of Justice wants to do is start rounding people up for no reason at all, without trial, without due process, just round them up. And let your imagination run wild there. What would that look like? Would they have like a thermometer, one of those like little pointy gun thermometers that they point at your forehead and be like, oh, do you have a fever? Come with me, sir. Yeah. Come with me, ma'am. Oh, your child has a fever. Uh, it's too bad for you. You know, take your kid away. The Department of Justice is talking about suspending habeas corpus and the worst part of that is that they can cite Obama for setting the precedent. It was during the freaking Obama administration that, you know, the habeas corpus and the Fourth Amendment, you know, really suffered the most. We might have been able to save it if after um, uh, Bush Jr., Obama had come in and actually done something proactive to protect our uh, civil rights, but he didn't. You know, every time he had the opportunity, he punted. Every time he had the opportunity, he he deferred and, and genuflected to power. And so when Obama deferred and genuflected to power, every single time, there we were. We were there. I, and I know you were there, too, because I know you. I see you. <laughs> we're the same. And during the Obama administration, we were all freaking the fuck out, and we were saying, no, we actually, that Fourth Amendment is pretty useful. We would like to have it around for a little while longer, so please don't throw it out the window. That would be, that would be wasteful. Um, and we were told to sit down and shut up. As a matter of fact, Rahm Emanuel said we were fucking retarded, his words, for demanding what is just and fair from an administration that had promised us and were elected on the promise that they would be just and fair, that they were the good guys, that they were the smartest people in the room. 
the people who say, uh, if only we could go back to Biden Obama, if only, if only we could go back to Biden Obama, they have paid absolutely no attention. Where were they during the Obama administration? I mean, come on. The banks got bailed out. We got sold out. I mean, did you miss Occupy? Um, all of this shows me that deep down, you know, take it all together. You know, you, you, you've got this sense of physical security that is um, completely being torn apart. You don't know if you're going to get sick. I don't know if I'm going to get sick. I don't know if I'm not going to have any money. I don't know if I'm going to have a roof over my head. You know, all of these anxieties, all of these pressures, all these traumas are, 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 are bearing down at me. And here comes this, this potential for the Trump administration to use a, a, a legal strategy that, that was created by Obama or, you know, really, really put to use by Obama um, to round us up and uh, put us away for whatever reason. You know, it could be you got a fever or it could be you look like a looter or whatever, you know. And people who look like looters are just poor people. I mean, let's just be honest about that. You know, uh, communities of color and and uh, people without means. Yeah, that's that's who that is. So what that shows you is and we know this, we know this deep down in our bones, that as a society, and this is, I think, what is scaring the shit out of people, is that we have the capacity to kill off the weak. You know, I don't know, uh, I don't know if you've ever had, any of you guys out there have ever had uh, animals, you know, if you've ever raised, raised animals or whatever, but... um. Sometimes the sweetest little animals, if they sense that there is a sick animal amongst them, I mean, really, really sweet animals otherwise, they will turn on the sick one and they will kill it. And we forgive them, you know, because they're, they're, they're pets or whatever, you know. I'm actually talking about hamsters here. Um, not talking about dogs, but I know people who have, who have seen this behavior in dogs as well. Um, when I was a, when I was really young, I used to raise hamsters and sell them to the pet store. It was my first small business. Deep down inside, we know that humans have the capacity to kill off the weak, you know, hamsters and, and, and pets aside, we, we've read about the Holocaust. And one of the first groups that they came for in the Holocaust were people who were sick and, you know, the infirm, so on and so forth. Um, Thomas Hobbes said, you know, uh, in the state of nature, and that's what we're experiencing right now, we're experiencing a form of the state of nature where there is no civil intervention, where there is no society, there's no social contract that we can, uh, you know, really put our finger on, that life is nasty, brutish, and short. You know, that's, that's, that's what he was famous for, for saying. He wrote a book called The Leviathan. Uh, and I hated it. I hated reading it. I hated every minute of it because I thought, this guy's just got a bad attitude. <laughs> College kids. He's just got a bad attitude. He just thinks everybody's just awful. And people are like, <clears throat> yeah, that's called being an adult. 
Um, we have the capacity to kill off the weak. And, you know, I feel like I've spent my entire intellectual career from the time I stepped foot on a college campus until now, the question that I have been asking myself over and over and rephrasing it and looking at it in different ways is, do we have the capacity to do the same to those with too much power? Is it possible anymore? Is it possible to rust control? Is it possible? Can we do it? And I don't know if we can. I don't know if it's gone too far. But I do know that we are at a moment of great contradiction. We are at a moment of um, great uncertainty. And while we have the capacity to knock off the weak, maybe we will find, you know, through, through pressure, through social pressure, through, you know, you know, the ways that, that, that we uh, as intellectuals do things, maybe we will find the stones to be able to take the power away from the powerful. Maybe. Maybe. I think we will. No, I'm a glass glass half full kind of girl. I think we will. I think we've got the leverage. Uh, we we have the moral leverage, and we have the uh, uh, we have the moment right now. All right. I'm gonna take another little break, and I'll be right back with Janine Moloff. <laughs> Thank you. 
you like my copyright free archive bossa nova music there. <laughs> Janine's on the phone. Say hello, Janine. Hi, everybody. Hi, Brooke. Uh, it's really well, good to hear your voice. Thank you. It's good to hear yours, too. It's been kind of a, a rough week. Um, anyway, basically, it's going to be a little more loose than usual. We're talking, obviously, about COVID, but what we're really talking about is how Trump, you know, he keeps saying that this is a war, this COVID crisis. Well, the GOP and, yes, some members of the Democratic Party, if this is a war, they're war profiteers. And there's several different things that we need to kind of look at. First of all, they saw this in Daily Cause. The author is Annie Ellie for Today in Heightened Contradictions. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is my usual sinus. <laughs> Um, they were talking about Chris Collins, who was Trump's first endorser, and this was in a report they cited from CBS News. Um, basically, they had gotten a video of a phone call at the White House lawn, and Collins got caught making a stock dump while on the White House lawn. And, you know, by now everybody's heard about Senator Burr and Senator Leffler and some others that have basically been doing the equivalent of insider trading, and basically because of this this COVID situation. And in The Guardian, um, there was an article yesterday. The author is Nathan Robinson. Um, US, the title is U.S. Senators Accused of Coronavirus Insider Trading are a Symbol of Moral Bankruptcy, and I do believe we've discussed this on air before. And he specifically mentions Burr and Leffler, but there's been some others, too. And he really talks about not only that it's disturbing to see these people profiteer from this, but it's the idea that they've profiteered by denying the public accurate information about this crisis. So <clears throat> this goes far worse, far, far, um, far more in more depth than the guy who purchased 17,000 bottles of hand sanitizer. Uh, and there is a law that prohibits U.S. Senate, really any of them from doing insider trading, and it's called the Stock Act, which was signed into law in 2012 by President Obama. Um, but again, when you talk about the pandemic, ProPublica reported that GOP Senator Richard Burr not only had dumped the, his stock, Sold off a significant percentage, and and we're talking he unloaded, according to their figures, between 628,000 and 1.72 million of its holdings. And that was a week before the stock market. The real evil thing is that Senator Burr is head of the Senate Intelligence Committee. Now, I, I need to really emphasize that because as head of the Senate Intelligence Meeting Committee, I'm sorry. Uh, the majority party, the Republicans, Senator Burr gets daily coronavirus briefings, according to ProPublica. Now, that means he knew what was going down, but he withheld the accurate information. He lied to the public and said the government was handling COVID quite well. But then he told his, as they put it, well-connected constituents something very different. And this was at the Capitol Hill Club, and um, this was reported 
by uh, NPR. Somebody recorded it. And I was just going to ask you about this. This is this is gobsmacking. It is. It, the corruption is beyond belief. And as far as I'm concerned, everybody connected with this should face criminal prosecution and mandatory jail time. Because here's what happened. Apparently, NPR uh, did the story, and there was a recording. And these were, you know, well-heeled constituents of the Capitol Hill Club. And he said that the virus was, quote, much more aggressive in its transmission than anything that we have seen in recent history, end quote. Now, that is very damning right there. So he, he withheld important information. And if he, if he admitted that much, you have to figure that there's been a lot of other information that has been withheld from the public that he had access to on a daily basis. And that's inexcusable. That is at least criminal malfeasance. And the other senators also sold off stock. They denied wrongdoing. But again, this gets to the Stock Act. And the Stock Act was, um, was voted into law in 2012. 2012. Can you yes. believe it? Senate. We we had the yes. republics two hundred and some forty years, or and it took that long mm-hmm. to make it illegal to do insider trading. Insider trading, on I know. In the Senate, yeah. Well, and then the other thing too is, why is it now in twenty twenty that we're first hearing about this? You know, they were too busy. Right. The, the media was too busy pursuing the horse race, and and whether or not Biden stutters, which is totally unimportant. Instead of dealing with mm-hmm. this, this is very pertinent. And so according to the Stock Act, in short, lawmakers are, pro- and I'm just reading direct quotes, lawmakers are prohibited from trading on non-public information. That means insider information. But the, um, the story here, they said the definition of non-public isn't always clear, which I find difficult to believe. Okay, I think I can figure it out. If it's information mm-hmm. that isn't in the public sphere, newsflash, you probably shouldn't have it. Uh, mm-hmm. and they, know that. they absolutely know that. Of course they do. You know, this is the, this is the age-old uh, professional equivalent of that gem, the dog ate my homework. <laughs> I was just okay. it for a friend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, they don't have a dog, all right. Um, and and I, I, you know, this is there's so much information here. I know there's going to be more. I'm going to be doing more stories on this. So I'm just touching on the high points tonight. And you know, uh, Senator Burr said that he relied solely on public news reports. Really, uh-huh. but he knows what's going on with the COVID crisis. And he's a businessman, so he knows how it's going to affect the markets. I mean, I'm sorry. This this goes. This is worse than the dog ate my homework. This is basically when my dog goes in the backyard and does her business and calling it perfume. Trust me, it ain't. Mm-hmm. It's that ridiculous. Well, and he wasn't the so, only one. It was Diane Feinstein. No. Yes, they, both parties, a lot of them do that. And I think the reason I'm focusing on Senator Burr is because as the chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee, oh, yes. he, yep. he received, this is the real criminal thing. It's not so much just the insider trading. That was their motive. But the fact is they withheld pertinent information from the public 
regarding, mm-hmm. including doctors and nurses, how to handle this. You know, we heard stories about how Dr. Fauci was being muzzled and other medical professionals in the administration. They withheld this information and made this crisis far worse than it needed to be. And, and blood is on their hands as far as I'm concerned. But Senator Burr, being chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee, receiving daily briefings, there is absolutely no excuse. He holds actually much more responsibility, and he should be criminally prosecuted far worse than the others still. But they all should be criminally prosecuted. So Burr and these others, they betrayed the country to increase profits. And, and again, they're in action. They're withholding pertinent information, has placed the public in further jeopardy, and so much to the point that according to this article, even conservative mouthpieces like Tucker Carlson and Ben Shapiro have called out Senator Burr's actions, if you can believe that one. Seriously. That's astounding. Tucker Carlson said there is, quote, no greater moral crime, end quote, than the idea of choosing yourself over your country in a time of crisis. And what it is is they're cashing in on a pandemic, and this is low enough, but this is the era of Trump, and even before Trump, though, okay, Trump's the symptom. The fact is there is such arrogance and pathological greed and selfishness in D.C. from both parties. It's not only approved of, it's congratulated. Let's face it, one of the reasons why, you know, they say they hate, they hate Bernie, because Bernie doesn't play the game. He just doesn't. In fact, he's the only one that came up with a viable plan that involved testing everybody, some quarantine, doing outreach so that people that don't have food in the house can get some assistance. He's and, and cash payments. Well, he's the only one that's come up with a, excuse me, a viable plan. It gets worse than this, though. This is like I said. We're only going to do part of this tonight because it's going to get. It, it, there's more here. I, I I got in deeper and deeper. So. This is, you know, for instance, more, as I said, more important than the insider trading is the fact that senators refuse to act to enact efficient measures to deal with COVID, okay? And they, they self-enrich. Not only that, they're allowing people to suffer and die, die needlessly. Now, this report is kind of an overview, and it's dealing with multiple actions by big banks. They're part of it, corporate, and, yes, the president and the Senate, members of the U.S. Senate and House. And they didn't just place profit over people. These groups have stalled action that is necessary to stem the tide of this pandemic for their own profit. And they cost lives in the process. These behaviors aren't just unethical and evil. They are criminal. As far as I'm concerned, they should stand trial for uh, what's called felony murder. You didn't pull the trigger, but your actions led to someone's death, so you may as well have. And... This self-enrichment, again, people are suffering needlessly because of this, and it gets deeper. So, for instance, um, and, oh, and also the Guardian um, columnist that wrote this column, Nathan Robinson, there's one last quote that I want to use, and he said, quote, the inadequacy of current measures is a crime in which many elected officials in both parties are complicit, and we should be just as angry at the legislators who kill people through inaction as if you jumped at the opportunity to make a buck, and I agree, end quote. Now, contrary, there are several things that are going on in terms of not being able to test people, doctors and nurses. Here in my hometown of St. Louis, physicians can't order COVID tests. 
You know, you've been told the media they can if the patient meets certain strict criterion. There was an article in the Post-Dispatch. Physician couldn't get it. Couldn't get it for a client, for a patient that met all the criterion, and doctor couldn't get it for herself either. So on top of which, doctors and nurses are being told to use face masks and other protective gear more than once, which compromises the effectiveness. And in some hospitals, I saw from Wendell Potter, I think you sent me this, that basically in New Jersey, physicians and nurses are being threatened mm-hmm. with discipline, including fi- being fired if they even use some of this protective gear. This is insane. Because so, they don't want the patients to feel alarmed. I People are alarmed in public if you're not wearing a mask right now. I mean, well, if you can people get a mask, are alarmed. I don't have one. I know. I can't get one right now, so, you know. Um, first, contrary, but what's contrary to what's being said in the media and by health departments around the country, there aren't really hardly any COVID tests out there. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to these drive throughs Mercy Hospital in St. Louis County, an affluent part of St. Louis County, they had, you know, you go through the drive through right? People were in line, from what I read, for three hours, and most of them, even though they had symptoms, were turned away. There aren't any COVID tests. We have been lied to. The shortage is so bad, physicians cannot access them unless, of course, you are what is called a boutique or concierge physician. And this is the medical profession's Marie Antoinette moment. Okay? Um, The idea of a concierge doctor, they do not accept insurance. A house call is over $1,000. And the ultra-wealthy, they're getting tests. No one else is not even other doctors and this is evil and some there i saw i found this one article and um the there's this one concierge doctor dr david nazarian and according to if you go on to his instagram account you have photos of him posing with celebs like dennis quaid and kendall jenner and you know basically he's been overloaded and here's the problem I have with this. These, even with these deep pockets, getting a test is still somewhat difficult at times um, because there's just such a shortage. And I do believe this shortage has been manufactured. I don't believe that it needs to be this way. I'm not buying it. But yep. the question in my mind is this with these celebs. These wealthy celebs should be publicly shamed and shunned mm-hmm. and ostracized for their selfishness. They could be using their celebrity to fight for treatment for all instead of, for instance, Jennifer Garner getting on Facebook or whatever and talking about cute little ideas to keep the kiddos busy. We need them to use their celebrity status to embarrass the powers that be and make them do what is right. And instead, they're just taking care of themselves. And this is just, again, another instance of the haves and the have-nots that has reached, again, Marie Antoinette, uh, proportions and it is evil. Um, and, and you know, again, one of the there's another doctor that does concierge medicine, a doctor Sarai Etches, and she's in Los Angeles. And you know, she says the labs are overwhelmed. Okay, that's where the ethics of this comes into play. You know, yada yada yada. We do have to start triaging now. And you know, her end of her quote was, "Are we going to triage based on your ac- based on your access?" due to your socioeconomic status. 
Well, I have a newsflash for Dr. Sarai Etches. They already are. Okay? Basically, mm. triaging based on socioeconomic status, they already are. There's, there's nothing new here. Our for-profit medical system that has no true public health component is basically killing us. And it is based on socioeconomic status, and it is evil. And here's the thing. The law says that in in life-threatening or potentially life-threatening situations, these doctors are required to help anyone. And once again, this is, it, it gets deeper. Okay. Um, and this is the other thing. Uh, when we go a little further, we find that behind, and this may not be totally behind the test shortage kit, but there's a little group that we're going to talk about in another report in more depth called Patent Trolls. And this is a story, and it deals with um, a group called Labrador Diagnostics, a law firm, two law firms, but the main one is Irel and Manella, who are patent trolls, and they tried to block COVID tests, new ones, from getting to market. And so basically, Irel and Manella is the big, the big law firm pushing it. The other one is Farnan LLP. Uh, and at Irel, Morgan Chu was identified as the big shot here and runs the litigation group. Here's the really damning thing about this, and I'm going to get into this. This, this firm, Irel and Manella, they are basically uh, trying to prevent, they're trying to shake down this other company who's come up with three, not just tests for COVID-19, but it could be a lot of different things, and it's fast, okay? But here's the deal. The the present U.S. Patent and Trademark Office Director that was uh, basically appointed by Trump in 2017 is a man named Andre Iancu. Mr. Iancu was formerly a managing partner in, guess where, Irel and Manella. Hmm. Nothing like a little conflict of interest is there. Now getting wow. into this, yeah, oh, it gets deeper. I, I'm serious. This is there's so much information here, and, and this is the problem, okay? Frankly, the law should be very uh, straightforward and simply worded. This has gotten ridiculous. And for people, and again, we'll get to it another time, but for people who don't understand what a patent troll is, um, when somebody comes up with an invention, medicine or whatever, they get a patent on it. And that protects, you know, the person who invented and put all the money into it, yada, yada, yada. Now, a patent troll is basically... Uh, either a company or a bank or a law firm that buys up a whole bunch of patents that they put in this, this big patent portfolio. Okay. And then they go through it. And if they can find a place where maybe they can tweak it a little bit and shake down a smaller company for money, then they do so. By the way, this whole idea of collecting patents in this as patent trolls in this whole portfolio has been, um, and this is based on previous knowledge, has been sanctioned by multiple bilateral and multilateral trade agreements, um, such as, you know, NAFTA and all the others. And it's done through a a procedure called ISDS, which is Investor State Dispute um, Settlement. And it's basically arbitration panels that are total stack deck. Now, this patent troll here, it gets a little deep. Irrel and Manella is the same law firm. This is crazy. 
They once claimed that they could represent a monkey, okay, in a copyright infringement dispute, okay? And it was, Tech Dirk did that story too. This this information I'm getting is from uh, a group called Tech Dirt. And the, basically PETA sues, um, you know, in terms of a monkey selfie. It gets really silly. So this story is a story about patents, patent trolling, COVID-19, a group called Theranos, and a company that brought us all something called WeWork. And the bank is called SoftBank. Okay? And this, it, it gets deeper and deeper. So um, according to Tector, the headline is SoftBank-owned patent troll using monkey selfie law firm sues to block COVID-19 testing using Theranos patents. <clears throat> Excuse me. And this was on March 16th. They, they, this guy did like one story after another on each day. So this was, this was by a writer named Mike Masnick. So he goes into this and, you know, he said, and to quote him, he says, you see, Irrella Manella has now filed, and these are his words, not mine, one of the most utterly bullshit patent infringement lawsuits you'll ever see. And this is a patent lawsuit, uh, Labrador versus a company called Biofire. Now, the, Apparently, Errol Manella representing Labrador Diagnostics, LLC. And Labrador is a patent troll that really doesn't exist except to file the lawsuit. Did you hear that? Isn't that crazy? Say it again. Labrador Diagnostics, LLC, that's who Errol Manella are representing, is a patent troll. Patent troll does not exist anywhere except to file the lawsuit. And they basically claimed to hold the rights to two patents, and they gave the numbers, which were um, originally granted to Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos. Now, Theranos was a firm that was shut down. There was a scandal over medical testing <laughs> equipment that was oversold and didn't work. And Holmes herself is still, you know, she's facing federal charges of wire fraud over this whole Theranos case. So she's already a crook. Mm-hmm. But it goes back to 2018. The remains of Theranos, Holmes has sold their patents to Fortress Investments. And this was a story based from MarketWatch that he quoted. Um, Theranos closes deal with Fortress. Fortress Investment Group is a SoftBank-funded massive patent troll. And the name should be familiar according to this according to Masnick because um, when Apple and Intel sued the firm, they lay, they basically describe how Fortress is an Uber patent troll. They basically gathers up a bunch of patents, like a big portfolio, and then like I said, shakes them down. The thing was happening was this SoftBank owned patent troll, Fortress brought up Theranos patents, and then they set up Labrador Diagnostics, which is just a shell company. And then they decided right in the middle, what is a COVID-19 pandemic started exploding, that they were going to sue one of the companies making COVID-19 tests. And they were going to claim that the test violates the Theranos patents. And they were also, to quote, literally demanding that the court bar the firm from making those COVID-19 tests. 
And oh I believe in the, the firm is BioFire. And I think those are the three that Trump was talking about. These are three COVID-19 tests. And it's built off the companies that got a film array technology. And I'm going to read something from the lawsuit itself. Quote, the accused products embody at least claim one of the 155 patent literally are under the doctrine of equivalence as set forth below. The further descriptions below, which are based on publicly available information, are preliminary examples and are non- Okay, there's a lot of, lot of nonsense here. Basically, getting to the point, the firm that created the mess that apparently is something called WeWork that I don't really know much about, and they dumped billions of dollars into the company, owns a patent troll that bought up patents from this fake or sham testing, uh, medical testing firm, Theranos. And they're using these tactics, these patents to sue one of the few diagnostic companies that's making a good COVID-19 test in the middle of a pandemic. And to, and to quote, to quote um, Masnick, demanding the use of those tests be blocked. This was, on, this was on the 16th. Yes, I told you, I had stuff. I'm serious. There's more to come. And, you know, this is just awfulness beyond belief. Now, the very next day, after Masnick did his article on the 16th in Tech Dirt, on the 17th, he wrote another one because SoftBank tried to cover their butt. And the, the headline is SoftBank-owned patent troll now promises to grant Royalty-free license for COVID-19 tests, details lacking. Well, you know, anything in the law isn't just what they're going to allow you, okay? If they're doing something that is, you know, let's say unethical, unless it is legally forbidden, they can get away with it, you know? So just to say we're going to allow you to do something, that, that doesn't mean anything. That's, that's, that's nothing. So um, basically – this particular offer, apparently what happened was Labrador Diagnostics sent out a press hours after the first article that I just told you about on the 16th went viral, okay? And, hmm. uh, yeah, so they're covering their butts here. And to quote them, quote, Labrador Diagnostics LLC or Labrador today announced that it will offer to grant royalty-free licenses to third parties to use its patented diagnostics technology for use in tests directed to COVID-19. Labrador fully supports efforts to assess and ultimately end this pandemic and hopes that more tests will be created, disseminated, and used to quickly and effectively protect our communities through its offer of a royalty-free license during this current crisis. And then Masnick went further on March, and I'm just quoting straight from him. On March 9, 2020, Labrador, an entity owned by investment funds managed by Fortress Investment Group, LLC, filed a patent infringement lawsuit in the District of Delaware, Joe Biden state, to protect its intellectual property. Labrador wants to make clear the lawsuit was not directed to testing for COVID-19. The lawsuit focuses on activities over the past six years that are not in any way related to COVID-19 testing. But it just happens to fall at this time, right? Um, mm -hmm. Two days, and this is still from, I guess, the, the same thing. Two days after the lawsuit was filed on March 11, 2020, the defendants issued a press release announcing they were developing tests for COVID-19. Labrador had no prior knowledge of these activities by the defendants. When Labrador learned of this, it promptly wrote to the defendants, offering to grant them a royalty-free license for such tests. Now, here's my thing. They're saying that Labrador didn't know about these COVID-19 tests being developed, 
but you know that when investment firms invest, they do their due diligence research. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, you have a conflict of interest because the man who's the director of the patent office, Mr. Ayanku, has been for 19 years the managing partner of the law firm doing this, Irrel in Manila. How is it? There's no way they couldn't have known. You mean to tell me that they didn't share information? It looks damning. Wow. All right. Yes, there's more. We don't have time for it tonight. I realize that, but there is more. This is, um, it is really vile. And these tests are so promising. That's the thing. Um, it blows my mind is, that Theranos is part of this. Well, I didn't really know anything about any of these groups before I saw this article. Okay. Um, but I'm not shocked by any of this. Um, and, you know, the thing is, these tests have a real, you know, real value. And one of the things, you know, Masnick says that the offer by SoftBank, this royalty-free license, he quoted uh, basically this man named Josh Landau at Patent Progress. And you know, basically, Landau said even if Labrador Fortress SoftBank, because it's all pretty much the same thing, is actually offering such a license, it's completely worthless. Okay, and this was in PatentProgress.org because, and I'm reading directly from the lawsuit is still claiming patent infringement on the machine BioFire is using to run the diagnostic. To quote. While we can acknowledge that Labrador has made this commitment, it's difficult to credit the commitment given that the, that the commitment doesn't seem to be a meaningful one. Suing a company that makes extremely complicated razor handles and razor blades, Labrador has essentially offered to freely license COVID-19 blades, but is still trying to block the sales of the razor the blades require. Wow. Yes. And we're at 7.58 now, or 8.58 your time. So I'm going to have to cut this off here. Um, okay. I'm going, to be I'm going to have to research this some more, but um, give you a t there's there's more to come. And next week, God willing, I'll have a pre-recorded um, interview with Marjorie Cohn on some of this as well. Super. Well, thank you so much, Janine. That was so insightful. Uh, also, we'll um, you know keep our Keep our eyes out for stories happening this week. I will talk to you next yep. week, Janine. And uh, everybody stay safe between now and then. And wash your hands. Keep your social distance. Right. You know, stay at home. Do all that stuff. And uh, we'll see you again I'll on um, next Sunday. Thanks, everybody. Progressive News Network. this again.